Welcome to the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. I'm your host, Christy Love. I believe in taking massive action to overcome life's biggest challenges because I know the rewards that lie on the other side. This show is a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation to help you level up in your life. Here's to a new you where your dedication, commitment, and staying true to yourself will make your wildest dreams come alive. I'm a transformational trainer, speaker, firm mama, and proud wife to a distinguished Navy SEAL. We believe in the motto, never give up, never quit, while doing it all with love. I'll share real talks with experts and thought leaders who offer proven strategies to turn your barriers into success in this unfiltered, transformational, and thought-provoking podcast. Let's do this. Hello, hello, hello. Today's guest is a gentleman who is the epitome of a person who is able to overcome tremendous setbacks, and he has achieved unmeasurable success. And he's also on a mission to help other entrepreneurs achieve higher levels of success as well. He is a keynote speaker and serial entrepreneur. This is a one man that I want you to meet, Mr. Ben Lyons. Hi, Ben. Hey, good morning. How are you? Great, great, great. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad that you are here, Ben. Let's start by just sharing your story. So we were discussing before we started the podcast a little bit about my background in the sense that I grew up in mostly Washington, Washington State, in the Port Orchard, Gig Harbor, Tacoma area. Those of you that are listening from the Northwest can relate. When I fly back into Washington, I forget there's moss on roofs. <laughs> so a beautiful area, but it comes at a price because obviously the humidity and whatnot. But when I was very young, my father and mother lived here in northern New Mexico in a little town called Farmington. And they separated when I was uh, about five years old. So my parents had a divorce and we ended up going with our mother up to Washington. So there was quite a bit of distance between my mother and my father. And so my mother began her journey raising three boys by herself. It was a difficult time for her. She didn't know what was ahead of her. She obviously didn't have the means to raise three boys by herself. So she had to be creative with how she did that. She commuted and worked as much as she could. She worked two, sometimes three jobs. And we were left to raise ourselves in a large capacity. And so we, thankfully, I had my aunt and uncle that lived up there. We uh, lived with them for quite some time. And we began trying to build our own home and doing these things. And I'll never forget this. We got to the point where we had finished building the home enough where my mom could go and insure it. It was boards and you're putting up sheetrock and doing all those things. We had help from people from the church and, and whatnot. And she went down to get insurance on the home. And when she came back, the home had burned to the ground. For all those years of work trying to build this home and she had bought a little piece of land and, you know, she had just scrimped and saved and was just worked tirelessly on this property and it burned down. So that was just a major setback. And in the same month, my mom lost her mother, passed away. So it was just, you know, one of those double whammies. But out of that, I saw the resilience of my mom, the, the ability to be able to continue to move forward, even in the face of such adversity. And so that kind of began the story. And my mom and my dad really didn't have a great relationship. They couldn't talk like two adults. It, it just deteriorated fast. 
And so my dad held a lot of resentment that we moved up to Washington State. So we ended up doing kind of an every other year thing, which was extremely difficult, where we would spend a full year with my mom and then mostly a full year with my dad. And for young kids, it was just a very, very difficult time. And the courts back then were not very helpful. And so it was just, there was a lot of uncertainty in our lives. We had to remake friends every time we would start a new school. And there was that back and forth, back and forth. And finally, when we were in, I think I was in sixth grade, I was talking to my mom. I just said, I just can't do this anymore. And we were kind of at that age where the courts would allow us to say we couldn't, you know, we didn't want to do this anymore. We didn't want to do the every other year type of thing. And so we began living full-time up in Washington from that point forward. So I ended up working when I was 14 years old at a local restaurant. Actually, it was a country club. I started washing dishes. And this was really before they laid down the law on the kids of that age can't work more than eight hours a week or 12 hours a week or whatever it is. So I was working 20 and 30 hours a week and just trying to pay for school shoes and school clothes and just support my family to some degree. And my older brother was the same way. My younger brother was too young at that point. And that's how it started my career, washing dishes in the country club. And I had some mentors there. You know, I have my father, but he never really was a father figure, if that makes sense. I mean, he never, we never worked, went out and worked on vehicles together. You know, we never did these things where I would learn that kind of fatherly role. And now in retrospect, when I look back, that's such a key component to the development of people, whether boy or girl, doesn't matter if you have to have both sides, you have to have that mom and dad figure in your life to help you with that growth at that age. Obviously, you interview people all the time that come from difficult situations, and we all find a path, but it certainly helps to set the foundation up right. And so, you know, in retrospect, looking back, I wish I would have had more of that. But I began working my way through school. And by the time I was 18 years old, I graduated college. I'm sorry, high school. I was the class vice president at the time. I got accepted into a private university, University of Puget Sound. And this was back in 95, 96. And during that time, the very first year for your prerequisites was $23,000 a year for your prerequisites. I remember thinking at the time, right down the street was Tacoma Community College. And some of the same professors that taught at the University of Puget Sound taught at Tacoma Community College, where Tacoma Community College was, I think, $1,200 for the year or something. And I was putting myself through school. I had moved out at that point. I was living on my own. My brother and I were sharing an apartment. And so I made the decision after I got accepted in the University of Puget Sound to move to Tacoma Community College and start going through the community college route. So even back then, I was thinking about ROI, <laughs> return on, you know, what's your return on investment for your schooling? And I had to be creative because I was just now at that point, I was 18. So I could actually become a waiter. I had to be a busser all the way up to that point. So I became a waiter and I was, you know, living off my tips and paying my way. And so it was a difficult time because I would see some of my friends who they had ways to kind of cheat the system. So one of my friends, he lived with his grandparents because his father was disabled. Well, his father was never really in his picture. So he always lived with his grandparents and he applied for all kinds of grants and scholarships and things like that. I would show up at his house that he'd been living in his whole life and he would have all the leather couches and big flat screen TVs. And I said, how'd you get that? He goes, oh, the school paid for it for me. So I had a lot of that, you know, and I could have focused on, man, everyone's got this easier route right? Why is he getting all this? And it comes so easy. Why do these other kids, they get these really nice cars in school when they turn 16. And I have this old beat up VW that I paid for myself. I could have focused on that. 
but I didn't. I always focused on what do I have? What is my skill set? How can I make myself better? How can I advance to the next step? And then I also, looking back, I modeled myself. There was a very close friend of mine, and he still is to this day, and he was about two or three years ahead of me age-wise. And also the way he thought through things, the way he navigated life, I just went, this is the key. How he thinks through problems and whatnot, his name was Tyler, and how he approaches difficult situations and how he navigated life, I modeled him. And so basically every step he took, I kind of took the same step right behind him. And now looking back, you know, he worked at the same country club, but he was a waiter at that time and he managed the other waiters and I was a dishwasher. Well, he started out as a busser and I worked my way up to that point where I was managing the wait staff and he had moved on and he went to Tacoma Community College. I ended up going to community college. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're in a situation like that, find someone that you can model. That is not someone on necessarily that has to be on the internet that's a guru, but someone in your real world life that you can go, they're making strides and they're making strides quickly. And how are they doing it? And how can I do something similar? So I began to surround myself with successful people. And so fast forward, I ended up going to Tacoma Community College, transferring into the University of Washington, Tacoma the Milgard School of Business. And I got in by the skin of my teeth because I wasn't a great student. That's okay. But I was optimistic, passionate, and hardworking, but I wasn't a great student. So I got in the University of Washington Tacoma. And that's really where the rubber hit the road for me. That's really where I was around peers that had similar stories, but all had the drive to succeed. And it was really fascinating for me to see an environment, an ecosystem where people were just on their game. So I went through the Milgard School of Business and I met a good friend of mine who was a professor at the time, Dr. G.K. Nelson, and uh, met a few other friends that have been lifelong friends. And that kind of propelled me to the next level where when I graduated from the School of Business, I had this opportunity in northern New Mexico. My dad reapproached, he reentered my life and basically said, Hey, I'm helping franchise this real estate firm. Do you want to come down and help and be a part of this? And I said, You know what? Sure. I think that I would love that opportunity. For me, it was another chance to kind of reconnect with my dad, maybe reinvigorate that relationship. So when I graduated from college, that was this was in 010101. So January 1st, 2001, I moved down to Northern New Mexico and he had been partnering with a lady who had a very small boutique firm and she sold real estate. It was a flat fee concept. So back in the early 2000s, a flat fee concept. And he was trying to work with her to kind of franchise that, turn that concept into a franchise. And that's where I came into play. So she financed me. She said, I'll sell you my little company. I think it was for $25,000 at the time. And I didn't have any money to put down. I had no money whatsoever other than what I was making waiting tables at the time, put myself to school. And so I moved down, got my real estate license. Actually, at that time, there was still the loophole that you could become a qualifying broker, a broker in charge without ever having closed a deal. And so so I was one of those. I, I kind of went through that loop and I became a qualifying broker. And now I was the owner of the small boutique firm and I had never owned a property or and I had never closed a transaction, which is kind of scary. And they've closed that loophole since then. And I'm glad they have, because if I didn't have a couple of mentors at that time, I could have done harm to the general public just because I didn't know what I was doing, not intentionally, but just because I didn't know what I was doing. So I took that little firm that had three people and I grew that to where I employed over 30 agents in nine years. And we went from about, 
I think it was three and a half million in sales a year, all the way up to close to 30 million in sales a year. So it was this incredible growth that we had in the company. And one thing that I'm most proud of is that I always went in with the idea to serve my realtors, serve my clients, serve others. And at the time, it was almost to a fault. It actually was to a fault. And I'm going to explain why here in a bit. But especially when it came to serving the other realtors, I made it very easy for them to work in my office without a lot of cost to them. We had a great chemistry, we had a great team, but I bore all the costs to the monthly fees, the monthly uh, advertising costs and things like that, where other traditional models, that's on the realtors themselves and it lets them be accountable. It's kind of like if you have a tenant in a rental property and you say, hey, I'll take care of the utilities. I just want you to live there and pay your rent. Well, they're going to run up that utility bill because they have no accountability for themselves. When 2008, 2009 timeframe began, as you're aware, Christy, that the real estate market crashed big time. The bubble burst, people stopped buying properties, values went through the floor. And during that time, not only was I managing all these realtors, I was producing as well. And what happened was they stopped producing and I was still producing, but they stopped producing because there was no bite to it if they didn't produce. There was no penalty if they didn't produce because I bore the cost of keeping the company open. And so I'll never forget this. I had met my wife, she was my fiance at the time. And it was three o'clock in the morning and I was sitting on her stairs and I was just bawling my eyes out because I had felt like I had worked so hard for so many years to get to a point where everything was just caving in on me, crashing in on me. And I just couldn't understand why I was going through that. And she, I'll never forget, she sat down next to me and put her arm around me. She just said, Ben, and I had only known her for, you know, less than a year at that point before we got engaged. Married today, very happily. She's my best friend, amazing woman. Um, And she just looked at me and she said, why don't you just shut this company down? And I had a myriad of emotions at that point. I had this just amazing sense of relief. Like she gave me the permission to fail. You know, she gave me the permission to say, I didn't succeed. And that was a, that was a tough moment for me. She said, it's okay, let's do it together. And then I was like, whoa, okay, we can do this together. But then I was angry too. I was angry. Like, why did I fight to carry this anchor? I call this the anchor in the mud. I fought and I drugged this anchor in the mud for so many years because it was a system, a flat fee system is great for the consumer, but other realtors and other Companies hate the flat fee system because they don't get compensated in the way that they feel they should. And I certainly understand that. Now that I've progressed in my years through real estate, I understand what it takes to be a successful realtor and be a good realtor. There's a lot of realtors that are not good realtors out there, but there's a lot of realtors that really, this is their livelihood. They lay it on the line every day. They go to bat for their clients. They work all the extra hours. I am never not answering or responding to calls and texts and emails. Even when I'm in Hawaii with my wife on a vacation, my kids, she's like, why are you on your phone? I said, I just have to take care of this because if I don't, I can't enjoy my day. And so it's hard for you to unplug. I was so angry that I carried this anchor through the mud for all these years. And I look up, like I had been this soldier. And I look up expecting to have all these other soldiers around me and I'm the only one. All the other realtors said, you know, hey, I'll go on and do something else because they had no skin in the game. So that taught me a big lesson. That taught me a a big lesson in the sense that 
I want to do what I can for everybody. I want to serve others, but there's a proper way you can serve others. And it goes back to teach a man to fish or give a man a fish. And if you teach a man a fish, they can fish for the rest of their lives. If you give them a fish, then they'll need a fish the next day. And that's the same thing. It's so true in a lot of aspects, but specifically in business in the sense that I was paying their way. I was never forcing them to find out ways for them to pay for themselves as realtors. And that would have been a healthy thing for them to do. That would have been a challenging thing for them. That would have been a more fulfilling thing for them to do. And it would have been better for me as well. So that was the big lesson I took away. So I had to file bankruptcy at that time. So I'm going into a new marriage. And I mean, I had worked all these years. There was no way around it. I had to file bankruptcy because I just could not dig myself out of the hole. Now, having said that, there was a lot of big companies that I had some lines of credits with and stuff like that. However, I did carry $100,000 in debt. So I had negative net worth at that point. After all, <laughs> after all these years of working, I had negative net worth and it was so deflating. I took that $100,000 of debt that I had that were to local businesses and local people that I owed money to, and I paid them off. I went and I did not include those in the bankruptcy. I just felt it was my duty that I had to honor these obligations. And so I began my road. My wife and I, we got married and we had a wonderful wedding. Her parents are very generous, are wonderful people. And we began our life together in a little small house down in a, in a neighborhood here in Farmington. And we used the gift cards we got for like Target and things like that to pay for groceries. You know, I wish we could have used that. And it's always hurts my heart a little bit because my wife always wanted to get married and have this wonderful thing, you know, and, and use our wedding gifts to advance our life. Well, we were just using it to survive at that point. And it was because of me. It was not because of her choices. It was because of my choices and the business that I had built and failed with. And so the first thing you have to do as an entrepreneur or a person that may be struggling in life is admit when you fail. When you fail at something, admit it and let learn from it. And it's okay. And it's okay to talk about it. There's a saying that says, don't talk about your wounds, talk about your scars. This is a scar for me. It's been so many years. I could talk about it and give you a very transparent picture of it. I don't try to hide it because it's not a wound. It's a scar for me. You know, look at this. This is what I went through. I mean, I'm sure you see that, Christy, on your show. Absolutely. Um, you know, it takes a certain type of vulnerability or ability to just be vulnerable in front of other people to say, hey, you know, things didn't go so well. But, you know, I've overcame that and I'm moving forward and now I'm helping other people. I did want to go back to your childhood because your childhood mirrors mine almost exactly to the T. My parents were divorced when I was about one and a half. And I, my mother moved to Houston and my father was in Detroit. So I was always flying back and forth to see my father. And, you know, it really made me you know, kind of hold a lot of resentment, anger and a lot of emotions inside. Now, for you, when you were dealing with that, going back and forth and torn between the two, during that time in your life as a kid, what was going through your mind? It was hard because when we wouldn't see our mom for nearly a year, my younger brother, who was three years younger, I remember when I was in first grade, he was three years younger than me. That would make him like almost three years old or so. He lost his hair. He started losing his hair. He was so stressed out. He didn't understand what was happening. And so the lady who was the babysitter that would watch us after school, she would watch my younger brother during the day. She ended up reaching out to my mom and my mom came down and got him. 
the word safety net comes to mind. I don't have this big safety net. I didn't know it at the time. Like I watched my wife and her family and they have these, this safety. She knows that she can go out there and do these things because mom and dad are there. And if she falls on her face, she's got the safety net. And that even rings more true when you get older, you know, you get into high school and college and things like that. If you don't have a safety net, it's all on you. If you fall and you fail, it's all on you. And so I remember thinking at the time, like I had this feeling of like, I don't have a safety net in my life, even at a young age. It's weird to think about. And then you, you're, you're recreating these friends. You go to school, you know, changing up schools and things like that. You're recreating these friends. Recreate. And so I had to learn how to manage chaos to a large degree. And I understand that I could set mental parameters for chaos and allow chaos to happen. But I had my own mental parameters that I could kind of, you know, frame it. If, if that, for me, I have my space. I have my space. Yeah. I moved about 30, 30 times as a child. Oh you know, different, yeah. states, different places. You know, I don't have any childhood friends because I was always moving. So yeah. it made me really introverted and just being by myself and playing with myself and just being, you know, comfortable with myself in my space. But on the other side, when you don't have that safety net, you just feel like, hey, there's no other option in life. I have to do this. I have to. So no matter what the obstacles are, you keep going forward because you have to rely on you. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, what's funny is I love that you just said that because as I advanced in my age, things that I would be talking to my friends from school or whatever that they were dealing with, I'm thinking, is that really a problem? Like, I, <laughs> like that wouldn't be a problem for me. Like, I, I'm already advanced in like what are true problems in my life. Like that, that's like elementary level. <laughs> and so I think you're absolutely right. Like uh, it forces you to sink or swim. And so I certainly was a better swimmer than a lot of kids my age at that point. I wouldn't change my story because my story is, is what built me. It's what built you, obviously, but it's what you focus on that is most important. And I did a fascinating interview with Dr. G.K. Nelson, who I mentioned earlier, for a summit that I had put on. And he talked about commonalities with success. And the very first thing, there's three pillars, but the very first thing is focus. What do you focus on? You focus on the lack of or do you focus on you know what you have in front of you? Are you a great? Do you come from a grateful standpoint? The second thing is grit, and you and I obviously have that where we just continue to get up. We're not going to lay down. Either you lay down and you die, or you get up and you keep moving. That is absolutely right. And the third thing he spoke about was optimism. Those are the three commonalities for all successful people: the focus, the grit, and the optimism. And it was a fantastic revealing interview but uh, but I wanted to share that because I think that anyone that goes through adversity like we have you know you have those elements in you it's a matter of understanding that and then really focusing on how do I improve that or how do I continue to do that and make myself better but not only that you're a shining light for someone else who has gone through it right who has been in a situation where they just didn't know what to do or how to move forward and you give them the example as well you may not even know it but you are so Right. Well, you do the best you can, of course. You know, uh, a lot of people have, like you said, a lot of excuses. And I don't give in to excuses. You know, I've been through it. I've been through it many times. And I still get back up. Every day that you wake up is another opportunity, another chance to make your situation in your life better. So that is great that you feel the same way. And, you know, it brings you back to the servant mindset. You know what it feels like to have nothing. 
And you don't want other people to experience the same thing either. So that's why you give and you give and you give and you help as many other people as possible. Now, having a models in life, you mentioned that having people who you can model from, different mentors who's guided you along the way. Why do you think that is so effective to the growth of the entrepreneurs that you work with? Yeah, great question. If you really analyze what is the fastest way the number one fastest way to get results in your life, whatever those results are that you want, whether it's losing weight, whether it's building a better relationship with your spouse, whether it's you know your financial freedom or having success in this specific career, whatever it is, the fastest way to achieve your results is to model someone that has done it before. There is no sense in this day and age that we have to recreate the wheel. At some point, if you are on the edge, you are surfing the edge of the wave of creativity. Yes, you are breaking new ground, but there are very few of us that are doing that. There are very few, and the the people that are, most of them, you know the names, the Elon Musks and the the Steve Jobs and those, those type of people, they're on the very cusp of that wave, and they're breaking that for people like us. So again, whether it's in a financial arena, a relationship arena, a health arena, whatever it is, if you want a result, find someone that has done it and model their behavior. That is the fastest way you can get results in your life and get results right now. And I realized that when I was younger, I just didn't understand that's what I was doing. So that goes back to my friend Tyler, who was a couple of years ahead of me. And I just kind of modeled his behavior. I just understood that he was successful. And maybe if I kind of do what he does, then I can be successful too and kind of get myself out of the, that really kind of helped me pull myself out of the, the muck. Then from there, I kind of put my own shoes on at that point. But I still use his concepts and how he approaches problems today, which is cool. So now I've just in, am very intentional about real estate. If I want to model how to be successful in real estate, I better find out someone who has done it and talk with them, interview them, pay for their course, get involved with their program, whatever I need to do to model their success. And, and then I can have success in, in my life. So if you're listening to this and there's one thing you can take away, model is the fastest way you can get results that you want in your life. Right. It's always important to be drawn to people who are a little bit more successful than you are. Work toward getting to their level and then, hey, level up. Find another person who can help you thrive to become better and better and better. And just keep doing that throughout your life. You're going to find that over time, you're in a whole different place than you were if you didn't do that. You know, I meet so many people who are just stuck in their ways. They know everything. They may watch the news a lot, so they base their life off of that. But they don't advance outside of their home to find other people that it can, you know, learn from, grow from, get ideas from, suggestions from, and who have a good heart to help build them up to a higher level. So that is so, so very important. Now, you also mentioned about how successful it is to have a circle, a circle of successful people. You can't do it alone, right? So just explain a little bit more about your circles, Ben, and how that's helped you. So after I, I had filed bankruptcy, I closed my company down, I went to work for a traditional firm. I just hunkered down. I just said, I'm just going to focus on me, my wife, my family. And we have two beautiful daughters now. So my first daughter was born about a year after we got married. And my second daughter was born three years after that. So I have a seven and 10 year old now. And they are the light of my life. At that point, I just kind of had to refigure out who am I? And I had the opportunity because everything at that point was ground zero. 
And of course, I was working toward paying off that debt that I was telling you about. And so I just wanted to put my head down and dig my ditch. But at the same time, I knew that I needed to surround myself by successful people. So I started looking around the real estate industry. But also, I've always been fascinated with motivational speakers. I've always been fascinated with the self-improvement gurus. And so Tony Robbins, I'm big on Tony Robbins. So yes. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, when I had no money, I convinced my wife, I said, look, I need this in my life. I would like to buy Tony Robbins set. And she said, you know, finally convinced her. It didn't take a lot. My wife's always so supportive. But it was $700 to buy this DVD set. When you this, this, this was in 2000, I want to say 2009, maybe into 2010. So there were still DVDs. <laughs> I bought that set in 2007 because I wanted to get in real estate. I put everything I had into it. Same exact experience. Everything crashed. I lost everything, but I had that set. And that set kept yes. going. That Tony Robbins yeah. power set. I went yes. faithfully that 30-day <laughs> day personal power set. Yes. Find it. Uh, listeners, you can find it on eBay, Amazon, whatever. That is, was life-changing for me. Yes, absolutely. Me too. In fact, I just I have that set here in one of my little tubs. I keep all my DVDs and stuff because DVDs, <laughs> you can't really play DVDs much more. You have to burn them to, so you can, you can listen to them in different ways. But I'm with you, Christy. That, to me, I was like, boom, hyper-focused on that so I can model what, obviously, Tony Robbins is very successful, and he has the keys to those success. And it's about neural associations, right? It's about what do you associate doing these specific things. If you want to get skinny, if you want to have a, a lean physique, and you associate, you look at the bowl of M&Ms and you associate pain, you associate being made fun of because you've been kind of heavy or whatever, that you can't fit in that shirt that you love, that you don't have the confidence. If you associate all those things with that bowl of M&Ms, then you're not going to eat those M&Ms, right? But if you associate pleasure with those M&Ms, which I do, and I've been guilty of, uh, like it's a comfort food, right? It's comfort. And when I'm feeling happy, I go grab some M&Ms or feeling sad, I go. It's an emotional outtake to whatever I'm feeling. Then that's it's not a, a behavior that serves me, but I, he teaches you how to associate those emotions with what you want to change in your life. And so if you're very specific and intentional with those emotions. So to answer your question, that's how I started my group, me and Tony Robbins on DVDs. But then I started looking around the real estate industry and I started thinking, because I'm a flat fee real estate, this is really kind of fascinating. I felt like an antagonist and I'm not an antagonist person. I'm a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. I want to build relationships with people. But I was in a flat fee system where other realtors just hated our system. They didn't hate us. They liked us as people because we were good, genuine people. They hated our system of doing business because it wasn't conducive to the way they wanted the real estate industry to go, or they didn't feel like it was the compensation that they deserved to get with closing a transaction. So now I was in a position where that wasn't an obstacle for me. So now I could go serve my board. I could go serve on committees and things. So I began serving on my board and uh, in our local association. And I advanced very quickly within two years. um, I became president of the local board of realtors. And then I went up to the state level and worked my way up through the channels there, where I was just about to be president of the state association of the realtors, New Mexico Association of Realtors. And I took a step back because I have young children. And I said, you know what, I only have this small window of time to spend with my children. And is this more important or is this more important? 
And that's a whole nother story. But to answer your question, that's where I began to serve and surround myself by other successful people. What happened was my real estate business shot through the roof. I won Realtor of the Year three separate times, which is almost unheard of. I'm very blessed and thankful to have because that's, a, that's an, an award that's given by your peers. And I've received state awards and numerous accolades and my, my sales have gone through the roof. I've ended up today, I've brokered over $200 million worth of real estate which has been a fantastic ride, but I wouldn't have been able to do it, I don't think, if I hadn't gone through these challenges and I hadn't had these setbacks because it forced me to reset, rethink, reprioritize, reevaluate. It forced me to a ground level where I had to rebuild mentally, emotionally, financially. I had to rebuild on all levels. And I think that's the most important thing for people to hear is that it's okay if you have these moments in your life where you're just totally on ground level, where you're, where you're in ground zero and you have to rebuild, you have to swallow your pride and step back up. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to reshape everything you want in your life because oftentimes what you don't know what you want until you know what you don't want. When I figure out what I don't want in my life, what I do want became very clear and I had a path to go for. That's right. I think a lot of people, when they experience these setbacks, they really need to understand that it's okay. It's okay to restart over and not feel shameful in front of other people and feel like they're a failure in life and that it's okay to start over. Next time may be better, but never give up. Never quit and never give up. That is my model. I know yours is to do it now, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's no better time than now to start. And that, again, is so, so very powerful. So what is lighting you up these days, Mr. Ben? What are you doing? What's in your future? Well, thank you for asking. And I love to do it now. I have two models in my life. And I share this continuously. My wife and I share this with our girls all the time. First thing is do it now. Always do it now, like you just said, Christy. Now's the time. If you've got something, do it now. Let's get it done. You don't want to touch it twice because that's not a successful trade. But the second thing is do all things with love. And love is the ultimate power because you live your life. Every decision you make in your life is if you break it down. And I'm literally talking about every decision you make in your life is broken down to a root cause. Is it based out of love or is it based out of fear? Now, you have a need for both of those things. So let me just give you an example. Do you pick that shirt because you love that shirt or are you fearful that the other shirt will make you look fat? I go through that myself, right? I pick my shirts because I'm like, you know, I love this shirt or does it make me look a little thin, right? And when I say that, I'm saying that in general, like everybody makes decisions out of love or fear. And when you understand that, fear has a purpose, right? Some decisions have to come from that component. But the biggest driver is that you need to be making decisions out of the love component and the love for yourself, the love for others, the love for your opportunities, the love for the drive and the, the universe that's behind you, the love of God. You need to grab onto that love component and make most of your decisions out of that. Now, having said that, 10 years ago, when my real estate business crashed, I was looking at all options. How do I make money? How do I do it quickly? And so we had this concept. A friend of mine moved out from California just to kind of help prove this concept. We've been talking about it. Right now, it's called the Stream Stackers model. We didn't know what it was called back then, but it came out of the necessity of building a business with very little money down. How do we build a very highly profitable business with no money down? And what we started talking about, I remember this conversation I had when I was waiting tables 
back at the country club, there was a very successful gentleman there and he had a board of investors that had come in from overseas and he was pitching them billboards. And I remember I'm waiting tables at the time, you know, I'm handing soups and things and I'm listening to this conversation. And he said, I want to buy billboards. This was back in the nineties. I want to buy every billboard on I-5 down to like Northern California. And so they would talk and, and he was pitching why billboards, because, you know, they're low maintenance, they have high impact, but they're very costly. And I remember that the investors came back and they said, we'll give you 3 million. And he stood up and said, I won't take 3 million. I need 25 million. And they went back and forth. And he ended up getting somewhere around 20 million to buy as many billboards as he could down the I-5 corridor. And I thought at the time, like, okay, again, modeling, this guy is super successful. He knows something that maybe I don't know or understand. Well, that thought came back to me in 2010, fast forward 15 years or so. And when I lost everything at that point, I'm thinking of things that I thought, billboards, why can't we be in the billboard business? And we started looking at traditional billboards and they're so costly. You have to buy land, you have to put up the lights, you have to run power to them. You know, now they're big, huge digital billboards. There's a lot of maintenance involved. We just didn't have the money, but we thought, how can we create another billboard that is cost-effective? Flat screen TVs came to mind. And so we started developing that idea. Well, that's like a really a billboard that we can put in a business. And what business could use it? Well, any number of businesses could use flat screen TVs. And so back in 2010, we approached an urgent care and we said, hey, can we put flat screen TVs in your waiting rooms free to you? And we'll run ads that promote what's your biggest money-making product. And they said, oh, sports physicals. And they named a few things. We'll run ads that push all those products for half the time. The other half of the time, we'll run ads that we sell the advertising to other companies. Are you okay with that? And they said, yes. And so all of a sudden, we had an audience in their waiting room. And we installed these these three flat screen TVs. And we made $20,000 in 90 days on that concept which was wonderful at the time. But I told my partner, I said, look, this is not scalable because we were literally having people burn DVDs in California with our content, ship it out to us. We put them in the back of the TVs and they would play a loop, right? And anytime an ad was changed, we would have to pull this DVD out and burn another DVD. And it would just wasn't scalable. There was nothing that we could do to scale it. So fast forward now, a couple of years ago, I picked that concept back up with a good friend of mine and he has developed a Roku app where we can control flat screen TVs and we're empowering basically created a business where an entrepreneur can come in and plug into that business model, turn it into their own and start doing flat screen advertising, billboard advertising inside of businesses. And we're just in the beta phase. We're just ready to take on our first set of beta testers that are going to go out and do this with my guidance, my help, because I'm selling to someone that was me 10 years ago, right? I want to sell to someone that has the energy to drive the ability to communicate with people, but may not have the capital behind them, that they have everything that would make them successful, but they can't buy a McDonald's franchise. They can't buy some of these franchises that cost them an arm and a leg. So my goal is to serve those people that really want to improve their financial standing and stack streams of income to improve the quality of their lives and make it affordable, give them so much value that it's just a no brainer for them. If they don't use the system It's not because that value isn't there. It's because maybe it's not the right time in their life or it's not the right fit and that's okay. But that's my service now is I want to help serve entrepreneurs on that level and give them coaching guidance, obviously, along the way. So that's where I'm at today. And I'm still a full-time realtor 
which is fantastic. That's what pays the bills and all that. But my passion is serving and helping. Uh, you are doing big things, big things in the business world, for sure, and helping so many people along the way. Can you end by just telling our listeners about three good tips to be a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, so great question. There are so many tips out there, but to be a good entrepreneur, I really feel like, first of all, you have to have the foundational components of wanting to improve yourself in whatever arena. It doesn't matter whatever is your ultimate passion, but you have to have this drive to want to continuously improve. There's this term, it's called Kaizen, and this was developed back after World War II, where we had to go back in and help build Japan back up. And some of the generals and some of the business owners in Japan, because you know they had been decimated with the atomic bombs and just in the war in general, they came up with this concept of Kaizen, which means constant and never-ending improvement. So you will never seek perfection, right? But the journey to perfection is perfect within itself. So you're always striving to become better. So for me, the number one thing for you as an entrepreneur is to understand where you're at. Like you may just stink at something and that's okay, but just understand that you're going to get better and you have to continue to move forward. So that's the first thing is that I think that you have to have this innate ability to say, I'm going to try to improve myself and and all levels. The second thing is if you can't figure out what's going on in your life, start doing something, start moving. And I'm talking physically, emotionally, mentally, motion creates opportunity. And it's so important for you to understand. I've told this to entrepreneurs time and time and time again, when they say, Ben, I just feel stuck. I'm like, well, what are you doing? What's your day look like? Well, I get up and I go do my nine to five and I come home and you know I do this and, and their routine is the same throughout. So there's no motion outside of their normal routine, right? And I go, you got to get yourself unstuck, whether that's put a workout routine in the beginning of your day, win your mornings. That is the most important thing. So that kind of is still in number two, win your mornings, get up and do your walks, do your exercises. You have to win your morning because you start off your day uh, with a win Everything else becomes easy. It's your big domino you knock down for the day. Start your day with a win. And that means get up and get moving, get some exercise going. Whatever it is, your morning routine, get up and increase that. But then motion in your business, motion in whether it's getting online and searching passions, whether it's, you know, if you're in a specific niche, trying to develop that niche, you know, just create motion in your life because motion opens doors, it creates opportunities. So that's the second thing. So the first thing, again, is, you know, you have to have this innate ability and mindset that you want to continually improve and that you're not going to be perfect all the time. And that's totally okay. In fact, that's a power. That's a secret power is to be vulnerable and not be perfect. Right. And the second thing is motion creates opportunities. And the third thing is, in my eyes, you have to remain optimistic. You always have to look for the good. You always have to seek out the good. If you do that, then you will always find the good. You will always find the abundance in the lesson. You will always find the win in the failure. You will always find that next opportunity. People will be attracted to you if you look for the good in everything, every day. And that, to me, are you know three big keys. There you know, are others, but to me, as an entrepreneur, If you can continually try to improve yourself, always keep motion a part of your life and look for the good, you're going to be successful. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you hear that listeners? Keep your drive and have the drive to keep wanting to improve yourself. You want to start your day off with a win. You know, each day I start off with prayer, meditation, and stretching and dancing. You know, move your body, move your body and work on, work on something besides that day-to-day mundane routine. Work on your business. You're going to see this going to open, open, open more and more and more as time goes by. And also remain optimistic. Seek out the good. There's good. You can find good in every single thing. You just have to open up your eyes and see it. And more good will come to you from that. So, Ben, I truly thank you for being on the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. You are absolutely an amazing individual, amazing person, amazing gentleman. And I look forward to watching you continue to grow, continue to help others, and continue to creating a legacy, not only for your own family, but for this world. Christy, it was an absolute honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm honored that you invited me, and it was so great to share my stories and meet you. And I look forward to working with you down the road. All right. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Be Seen, Beloved podcast. For more inspiring conversations, please share with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or feedback, you can reach me directly at beseenbelovedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.